Hey, it's your boy, the Big Aristotle Shack, and this is the Prime Time Podcast from the Bros Who Think Network. Bitches. What's up, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Prime Time Podcast. It's been a hot minute. It has been a very long time since we recorded something. A lot has happened. Uh, it, it seems that most of the COVID pandemic is over. Uh, not that is the, that was a reason for not recording a lot. It kind of just rained, uh, ran the train off the tracks. Uh, but we are back. Uh, we are excited to start bringing more LSU content. I know that, that we've done a good job of keeping the Twitter in, uh, up to date and releasing information. And we look forward to having guests on and, and bringing you the content that we did back in the 2019 season uh, before all of this craziness started. Um, up in 2020. So without further ado, um, this week on the Primetime Podcast, we have Brody Miller, who is joining us. And so let's get into it and have Brody Miller's conversation that we had earlier today. Uh, and, and I hope you all enjoy it. Joining us now on the Primetime Podcast, y'all can find him on Twitter at Brody A. Miller. Brody, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. How are you? Doing well. Hey, man, summer is coming. So give us your favorite snowball flavor before we start. Oh, wow. Am I about to like show my ass that I don't know that I'm not that Louisiana, that I don't have a favorite snowball? <laughs> my snowball game is not very skilled. Damn. What's your guys' answer? I need to learn. Oh, man. I, I like the ones in New Orleans. Uh, go to Plum Street and any of the cream flavors are awesome. Okay. Uh, mocha cream is incredible if you, uh, if you get that. But uh, no, any of the cream flavors are, are the way to go. Okay, this is helpful because if my girlfriend heard me say this, uh, like a fourth generation New Orleanian, she'd chop my head off. So I'm, hopefully she doesn't listen. Well, let's get into it, man. There's a, you know, it's kind of an exciting time around LSU sports. We've got coaching changes. We've got football having recruits back on campus. But first, let's start with baseball. As uh, Paul Maneri announces that he's retiring, I know you covered baseball thoroughly uh, a couple of years back. What are your thoughts on Paul and what type of legacy he's leaving at LSU? It's a tricky one, right? Because, I mean, I'm curious where you guys stand on this, where it's like, if he was at any other school, he would, I mean, I'm not saying he'd be like some Mount Rushmore guy, but he would be like looked at as, you know, one of the better coaches in the country. And don't be wrong, he still is. But like, he would be a little more beloved than he is if he was anywhere else. But he he's following Skip. And I know that storyline's been like overdone, but it's real. Like, he... Anything he did, any year they made a college world series and lost, you know, in the in, in like in the in the finals or whatever, it would just be like, well, Skip would have won that, you know. And that's just not. There's not many places in the country where there's like any baseball history you're being compared to, let alone like that history you're being compared to. So I think I'll look back on Paul Maneri's career as like a really good coach, you know, obviously won a World Series, but more than even winning that World Series, I think I'll remember more. The, the 10 year run of like getting national seeds every year, making Omaha like four or five times. Like that's the part that it's like he was consistently making LSU one of the best teams in the country. And the way every guy in baseball always puts it is like the goal is just to get to Omaha. Once you're there, it's just a crapshoot. It's just that's my opinion. I agree with that, too. So it's like, yeah, he's not going to go down as an all timer, but I still think he's one of the better coaches, you know, in, in history. I don't know where you guys stand. I, I mean, you got to think about it like people have continuously say you know he followed skip and yes he did but people forget about smoke and True. what he yep. did you know that he had talented teams but him not winning a national championship him not having that run uh just in the sec tourney and the amount of sec championships he's gotten 
people forget about Smokovall, and and he was a good coach. You know, his team had a lot of uh, a lot of success when he was here uh, before Paul came in. But I, I think that's just what it is. It's you know, LSU fans, and and you know this probably better than anybody else. Is LSU fans, if the team is not undefeated, they need a new head coach, or there's something wrong with the with the school. No, there's really no conflict this in the baseball landscape. I don't think. Period. You know, like even like your Mississippi states or like Vanderbilt's, maybe Vanderbilt, but like other schools, it's like if you have a down year, it's just like oh, that's part of it. And LSU, it's just not. It's just not acceptable. I mean, Alabama football is genuinely the only comp in sports I can really think of. Maybe like a Duke basketball or something like that. And and honestly, like what John Shire is about to have to go through might be kind of similar to, to like that, that because it's like everything he does for the rest of his life will be compared to him. But I mean, I'll even compare it to me being an IU alum where it's like, listen, we're four coaches past Bob Knight or five coaches past Bob Knight, but doesn't matter. Like everything you do is, hey, we've seen what greatness can be, so pretty good isn't good enough, and that's an unfortunate life. Because, yeah, again, I don't think Paul is, like, perfect. I don't want to, like, put him up to – he has flaws, and he's pretty transparent about those flaws too, but I think his legacy will be, like – I don't know. He's just – he kept LSU clearly as one of the top five programs. But yeah, not the last, like, three years. I get that. But, like, clearly a top five program for 12 years, 10 years? Like, that – is the goal that's really all you can do to some extent right or am i too naive i don't know no i look i agree with you and looking at what they're going to do going into this weekend uh i don't want to just ask you about last night i saw you tweet about Cade below so <laughs> if you were ever gonna sum up last night's game and, and projecting it putting out a poll whatever would you ever have said that Cade Beloso drawing a bulk because they kept checking him at first would have been the reason I actually would have called that. So, uh, you, yeah, like, what are you talking about? Uh, no, I mean, that's like, it's just, it's like the thing with LSU and Hoover, right? Where, like, every, not this year, obviously, but like every year in Hoover, they just like go on a nonsensical run of stuff that just doesn't make sense, like winning games on a walk off pass ball and shit like that. You know, like, it's just LSU, like, something about pulmonary in May or, or specifically June, like, just, and maybe that's just baseball, but like, nonsense happens. And it's like, so I'm trying to remember. Something kind of crazy happened in the 2019 regional, didn't it? I'm forgetting something, but like there is just always there was the 18 inning game with Mississippi State and Hoover. Like there's just these Paul's postseason runs just defy logic because like nothing about this LSU team is particularly you know exceptional, but they just like find ways to win this nonsense. And yeah, it was perfect. It is just and it's like if you think about it, and again, like we said, I don't cover him as closely as I used to, but so many of these like there's just so many like built-in corny narratives that you could like like one of the the star of the regional was Gavin Dugan. And, like as a guy who was there in 2019, Gavin Dugan was so scared to death of Paul that he couldn't field a ground ball. Like he was just <laughs> like because you know Paul makes people you know Paul one of his greatest strengths is detail but he also makes people play uptight and Gavin Dugas was this timid kid from from Homa right or I think it's where he's from and he was just scared to death and now like he's just this badass you know stud or like Cade Beloso yeah like the guy who everyone on the team told me is the least athletic guy on the team getting a pickoff or there was another oh Drew Bianco's had like some big moments he's another guy who seemed out the door like three different times like there's just so many like of these ridiculous narratives that actually makes this kind of whole final ride storyline just so fun to follow well you know thinking about all of that thinking about how teams can grasp onto something and, and what paul's been able to do in terms of having success in june would it surprise you to see this team go into tennessee and win a super regional not even a little right <laughs> and again like 
because you know for example like i'm out with you know luke johnson who obviously you guys know and like last night and we're talking a lot about it it's like i don't know college baseball as well as luke does or anything like i'm not a guru but i still believe that once everything that's happened so far once you make a super i don't care how good anyone is it just feels like a toss-up to me like anything can happen at that point and and yeah you have the momentum on your side you have the storyline on your side and you got a tennessee team that not that lsu's used to being here or anything like that the last few years but tennessee's not exactly a program that's used to being here so no i actually like have this weird irrational gut feeling that they're just gonna win this the athletics actually sending me up to knoxville we don't really even cover college baseball in like a deep way and like they're like we're we're following this and we're doing a big story on it because like i kind of just think that in like I'm, no, I'm not going to use the word magic. Screw that. No, I'm not. But like, I just think some stuff's happening, and I think they're going to win it. That's my gut feeling. Yeah, look, I, I think uh, Tennessee is is proven to have a, a raucous crowd, and uh, I'm I'm intrigued to see what you put out there in terms of stories. And I, you know, I'm I would like to know what the difference is between the box and and what you're going to face up there in Knoxville in terms of atmosphere. I I think it's going to be right in line with there. It should be an exciting series, but. Let's transition over to football. A lot has gone on on that side uh, of campus as uh, Tigers didn't have the best season last year coming off the national championship. You see a lot of coaching hires uh, in this past week. You see LSU bring in Brad Davis to replace James Craig. What are your thoughts on Brad Davis? You know, the, the idea that he's getting paid near one of the top or as one of the top offensive line coaches in football right now, college football. That the talent's there, and look, I'm excited what he's going to bring, and I think that he is going to be able to elevate this position at LSU, not only on the field in terms of coaching, but in recruiting as well. No, I think I struggle with like evaluating any of it confidently, and part of that's a cop-out because I think offensive line is the hardest position to like judge in any quantifiable way like you can't like and when you try, it's usually kind of like out of context stats and stuff, so it's really hard because nothing on just physical paper is like clear cut. Like Brad Davis is the dude, you know, like, I don't know that, but I do know the market and I know a lot of, you know, people who know what they're talking about. And you, I mean, I'm sure you guys know, you guys obviously know this, but like USC tried really hard to steal him away this year. And I heard Alabama tried to steal him away. Like there's interest in him and he's, and it's tough because his offensive lines, it's not like, again, I don't like using statistics on offensive lines, but it's not like they're, wow, like, you know, if you look at the analytics of Arkansas's last year, right? Pretty, pretty darn good run, run blocking scheme, but not pretty bad in pass protection, actually. One of the worst in the country. But like, again, it's Arkansas. They're not talent, as talented. They're playing SEC West schedule. Like, context wise, I'm not sure I'm really going to criticize an O line coach for that, right? But, What I like about it is, okay, first off, you know, there's the homecoming and all that, but he's a rising star, and I think he's almost a, and again, I'm not a James Craig hater, I think he's a flaw, he was a perfectly fine, flawed, with some good strengths offensive line coach, but I think Davis is almost like a yin to his yang in a lot of ways, where Craig is like more of a technical coach, NFL background, but not a recruiter, didn't come up in this world, and had some flaws in that area, and I think Brad Davis is younger, hungry guy, came his entire career like the old school route of like GA to, you know, Portland State, you know, just work your way up the recruiting ranks, make makeshift lines at Missouri and over that overachieved and then sent four guys to the NFL, stuff like that. Like he has an old school route. And yeah, we it's not like we have a track record to prove he's some like elite recruiter. He did land three four star off offensive linemen at, at Arkansas in his one year there. So kudos to that. So that's pretty impressive. But it's not like he has some home run thing, but it's still he has a history of just recruiting well and evaluating well and those things like that that a 
that weren't Craig's strengths and things like that. And he's got a good history of of developing some guys. And LSU, as you guys know, they need to develop that second unit, that third unit, because starters might be fine, but those backups aren't right now. So anyway, like, I don't know how good it'll be, but there is something to that notion of you're probably buying Brad Davis for the long haul, right? Like, you know, offensive line coaches, unless they become an OC, they don't really like get it's not like they're going to leave unless they have to. And he wants to be in Baton Rouge. He loves LSU. So say hypothetically, and this is being just talking out of my ass, but like say hypothetically, he's really good. You could see Brad Davis staying at LSU like a Corey Raymond length of time. You know what I mean? So I think there's some positivity there that you're kind of like not buying low because damn, they're paying a lot, but, but kind of getting in early on a guy that might be, you know, a long-term move. If that makes sense. Well, I heard you mention something about recruiting in there, and LSU finally able to get kids back on campus in what seems like an eternity. Uh, that being one of Ogeron's favorite things is, is recruiting. What was this past weekend like, and, and what is the staff feeling in terms of being able to get kids back on campus and being able to open up the doors to a facility that, uh, quite honestly, is one of the better ones in the country? Yeah, it's like I, I would never like sit here and say LSU was gypped because, oh, poor LSU. You know, life's pretty life's not too hard to be LSU. But it is kind of funny. I mean, and a lot of people in the program have said this, like when you win a championship, the best part of that isn't. I mean, yes, it's winning. But then it's the next like eight months, the next year where you get to bring every single recruit into your building and show off that trophy case of the national title and the Heisman and the awards. And you get to just flex. And like it's just like six months of just built in power marketing that you can be like no one else can say they just did this. Right. And and then you also it, but obviously else he was robbed of that. They Right when that they would have done that, they go 15 months without able to bring anyone in. And then, then like you mentioned, you mentioned the facilities. Those launched, what, I want to say like first week of July 29, of 2019. Obviously, they got one fall out of that, but that they didn't get a single 2020 offseason or 2021 offseason to show off these amazing facilities. So they did kind of get like a raw end on that because obviously they did fine. Number, what, three class in the country. Again, poor LSU. But it was just kind of unfortunate that like they couldn't capitalize on like this big moment as much as maybe they would have liked to. So I think that's the big thing of like, yeah, you, you're able to bring in, sure, you're, the guys who are already committed, but you're able to bring in your Shamar Stewart's and your Kelvin Banks and all these guys and finally show that stuff off and finally like flex all these things. And then I always, the big thing that I always go to also is evaluation. I mean, just, I, I can't wait to see like the pieces written in three or four years on like what's actually going to come of the 2021 class across the country, just because it was the least evaluated class probably ever. And like you people really weren't able to get good looks at these guys and how many guys fell through the cracks and end up at, I don't know, like UL because they're just not on the radar. They would have been if they had the normal camp circuits and all of that. So it's just big to be able to have the camps they had last weekend. And they offered, you know, wow, I'm terrible at names sometimes, but they offered a 2023 kid who came into camp right away. You know, like there's guys like that. So I think, I think the evaluation part of it's huge and just finally being able to show off this national title, show off those facilities. It's, it's huge. Absolutely. Well, we talked about Brad Davis. LSU also made uh, new hires at coordinator. I think we kind of have a feel of what's going to happen with Jake Peets and DJ Mangus and having a, a similar offense to what we saw in 2019 in terms of being able to score the ball. But on the defensive side, we saw the issues last year with Bo Pelini, and now Durante Jones comes in uh, with a guy with, I, I guess, not as much tape in terms of uh, yeah. being a defensive coordinator. What can we expect from a guy like that? Uh, do you have uh, not just a, a sense of hope, but is there something in terms of concrete evidence or, or something you're going with 
to show you that we should be optimistic for the defense going into the season? Yeah, I think you put that question perfectly, the, the concrete evidence thing, because that's what makes this so hard with both hires, really, right? Like, I like both hires in a vacuum. I think they're both really respected young coaches who aren't, but aren't like noobs, you know, like they, they, I say noob, how old am I? But like, but aren't like, you know, they, they put like, they've been in coaching at a high level for a decade. Like they're not nobodies who just like Joe Brady came out of nowhere. So I, I like both, but you have to worry. Yeah. I have no idea what kind of schematic mind Durante Jones is. And I'd be lying to your listeners if I said I did what I do feel back to the concrete thing, what I feel solid about after talking to a lot of people, hearing things from the last few months, that kind of stuff is he is a good teacher. You know, he is, that was Dave Aranda's calling card, aside all on top of his schematic brilliance. But, like, you know, Durante Jones is really good at working with younger players, developing them, and, you know, whether it be, you know, with the Bengals or the, the Vikings, that, like, that was always the thing he got the most praise for from people he worked with was just being able to teach communication and, and understanding scheme to guys who are probably in tough situations and are struggling to learn that. So I think that's promising because that's the number one thing LSU has to get down. And like, I hate to oversimplify football sometimes, but it's like LSU is LSU. You're so you're, you should always be the, the more talented team, except for like two teams you play and LSU defense. That's especially the case. And like, if LSU can just remove like the, just, unbelievable errors on the back end or linebackers playing on their back foot because they don't know what the hell they're doing and just coverage busts all the time. If you can just get it to back to where everyone knows what they're doing and sure your scheme needs to be solid, of course, but like, again, probably too naive, but like if you can just figure that part out of it, yeah, I think LSU really quickly goes back to being a top 20 defense in the country because they're really, really talented this year. So that's the part I feel at least a little concrete on Jones, and I'm not going to overreact to a spring game, but they actually look like they knew what they were doing in the spring game, which is at least something. And yeah, so I think I think you'll remove those errors under Jones. I feel good predicting that. But do I know if he can like keep up schematically with, you know, I don't know, like I'm trying to like Lane Kiffin on a Saturday night? I don't know that yet, and I would, I'd be lying if I did. Hey, do you think LSU finally knocks off the uh, the Lou Groza Award this year? Jeez, uh, what a great question. I think hmm, that falls in the category of if I – again, I'm, I'm a terrible podcast guest. If I, like, really pretended, like, ah, you know, that kicker out of Akron. Like, I like his tape. You know, I have no idea. But, no, I mean, Cade York is, you would assume, the top kicker and, you know, one of the top three kickers in the country going into the year, one of the best in the SEC. He's just flat out been good for two years, but now you also add the level of clutchness he's proven and all that. Yeah, I, I think I think Cade York, unless he just falls apart, it will probably be a finalist. And then I'm also a believer that like kicker is one of those things where it's like how many people know a kicker. So the fact that mm-hmm. Cade York, so the fact that Cade York's already known nationally for like two big moments means like he's kind of a shoe in, you know, unless he blows it. I don't know. I, I do stand by that sometimes. It's like offensive well, line. Like the first yeah. team SEC offensive line is just the people you've heard of. You don't really, no one really knows what they're talking about. Yeah, or it's just associated with a good offense. Exactly. Yep, 100%. Well, Brody, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, where can people find your stuff over at The Athletic, and what do you have working on right now? Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Yeah, uh, follow me at, at Brody A. Miller on Twitter and, and you know subscribe to theathletic.com. I'm pretty sure you can get like a 40 or 50% off if you go at theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. And, uh, and yeah, uh, we'll have some stuff coming up on from, from Paul Maneri's last ride and some stuff on, you know, the, the crazy LSU baseball run and some, some other stuff, you know, with LSU football and Jake Pete's coming in the future. So hopefully I don't disappoint. All right, Brody, always a pleasure. I appreciate it once again. And, uh, have fun over in Tennessee. 
Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. A lot of fun. Take care. One again, once again, want to thank Brody for coming on and giving us some of his time. I know Brody doesn't uh, cover LSU baseball a whole lot, um, that he mostly does football these days. Um, but, you know, wanted to get Brody in because he did cover LSU uh, a few years ago. Wanted to get his thoughts on Paul Maneri, as I think you'll hear throughout the summer from guys we talked to, is, is what guys had to say about Paul Maneri, his career, his time at LSU. And shoot, this, this team's making a run. You know, this team came into Oregon. They lost the first game, and I wasn't the only one. Uh, I think multiple people agreed that if they didn't win the first game, LSU had a hard time getting out of that regional, and and guess what they did? They won. And, and, you know, they won in a way that um, showed a lot of heart, a lot of guts, and uh, I think this team has talent. I think this team has underachieved their talent this year. But you know what? In the postseason, under Maneri, anything can happen. We've seen it before. We've seen Maneri take teams that were worse than this to a Super Regional and and advance. We've seen LSU lose to teams that were worse than uh, what this LSU team is in terms of talent and and get to the College World Series. So I think anything can happen, and I'm excited to see what happens this weekend. Uh, On another note of what we talked about with uh, Brody was LSU football. You know, it's something that we covered a lot in that 2019 season. And we were going into in 2020 with uh, what was going on in the spring, looking forward into the spring and what was going to happen uh, with recruiting and stuff like that. Uh, it's something we're going to start getting back into with football coverage. But I want to talk to Brody about football, about the additions in terms of the coaching staff. And, man, I, I think that LSU can still capitalize on what they did in 2019 in this recruiting class. I think they still had a really good recruiting class, bringing in a top-five class once again. And I think that this coaching staff is one that you have to have some optimism about. You know, it's something we talked about with Durante Jones and really even with Jake Peets. It, you know, you don't really fully understand the story of what's going to happen. I think there's a lot of unknowns. But at the, at the end of the day, I think there, there's a sense of optimism because I think that everyone knows – uh, going forward into the season that both of these guys can coach. And it's not the it's not the best friend. It's not the coach that, you know, is the guy that, that's been around and, and has been around Ogeron in the past. These are the guys that are uh, on the brink of being the next guy. They have the ability to progress forward. They're the new guys on the block. And, and you know, even though they've been on teams and stuff like that, they're the – and not even so much the hot names – they're guys that are, are the next crop. They're, they're the guys that are going to be that are going to come in and make a difference and, and progress in their coaching careers. And I think that's something that you can see from both guys. And if your coaching staff is moving on to go coach at other places, whether it be a Dave Aranda to become a head coach over at Baylor, or whether it's a coach that like um, uh, you know, that decides to to move on and, and become an offensive coordinator. Um, you, you know, I, I, what you saw with Joe Brady, I, I think that that's a good thing because if your coaches are leaving for better jobs, getting hired for better jobs, getting hired as head coaches, it's because you're winning and it's because you're having success. Uh, and so I'm excited to see what this football season brings. I think LSU is going to have a, uh, a drastic improvement on what they did last year. And I'm looking forward to it as well as all of us are here at the primetime podcast and the bros who think network, but Once again, I want to thank Brody Miller and uh, looking forward to bringing the content to you guys again. And it's something that we're looking forward to doing. We're uh, working on a list of guests and we're going to be doing this weekend and week out throughout the summer going into football season. But for Brody Miller, my name is Charles Reese, your host. Y'all have a great week. Enjoy Knoxville. Enjoy some baseball and uh, make Tennessee regret making the shirts that say retirement area.
But as always, God bless.